Hey, welcome to Home Church Podcast. It is a good day to have a good day. I'm Pastor Jerry Kuhn, and I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. My hope is that you will respond to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you in and through this message today. And I believe that he will draw you into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, where you are passionate about loving God, doing good, and being a friend. I hope that you enjoy the message today. I don't know what our parents did, um, but you did a great job of reinforcing them. Do not be convinced that any balloon or ball that looks red, it is red. Do not let that preacher convince you that it's blue. So you did a great job. And I want you to know um, that we are um, so thankful that you entrust us with your kids. We love the opportunity to minister uh, to your kids. We take that um, with great joy um, and um, with all seriousness. Uh, I saw someone posting the other, uh, to, yes, this morning. I saw it this morning. I don't know when she had posted it, but it was her little kid, little boy, um, learning a memory verse. And she like, hey, take a moment to look at the cuteness of my son trying to say his memory verse. And then she goes on and give praises to our teacher because she's like, oh, uh, Pastor Tracy does a great job with our kids. They're learning their, the, the word of God. They're becoming at a young age lovers of God that took me and you years uh, to enjoy God's word. So I am so thankful for all of... Uh, uh, what God is doing within our children's ministry and uh, uh, within our, our nursery as well. And I wanted to, I wanted to uh, remind you, most of you guys, if you were here um, last Sunday or perhaps if you watched this online, you knew that we, uh, we said that, hey, walking with Jesus, this journey that we have with God is not a cakewalk, and we realize that. Um, all of us in this room know that walking with Jesus in this relationship is not a cakewalk. And it's at times in our lives, we're like, man, this is absolutely not easy. And especially when you feel like, um, what Jesus said. Jesus said that you will be hated because they hated me. And, uh, and when you feel like everybody's against you and the whole world's against you, it doesn't feel like the journey with Christ is easy or, or even do you perhaps like it. Mark chapter 13 says this. Uh, Mark chapter 13, verse 13. Uh, Jesus makes this statement and he said, and you will be hated. He's talking to his disciples and they, they came back on this journey. He says, how good was it? And they're like, it was great. And he said, things are about to change. You once was loved, but now you're going to be hated. And he says this. He says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So let me encourage you today with God's word today. I know it feels like you've been hated. I know it's difficult. The challenge seems very impossible. And every choice that you made seems like you just make a bigger mess on the other side. But I will tell you today that if you will stick to the end, if you will not give up, if you will stick it out, you will be saved. And I'm so thankful that this journey in our relationship with God, we are working this out. And I'm so thankful. Um, A.W. Tozier said this. Last week we quoted him. We just simply said he made this statement, and I believe in it. To be right with God often means to be in trouble with people, with men. And we know that in our world today, when we stand up for what is right, uh, what God says is right, when we stand up on that and we are boldly standing, um, we're going to be hated. We're going to be in trouble. People are not going to like us. This world is not going to like us. I mentioned seven things last week, and I want to quickly uh, share that with you as we go into part two of our series, I Follow uh, Jesus. And here's all the seven. One, we said you will be hated. You're hated because you're not part of the world. Um, we said, number two, was you're hated because you're a follower of Jesus. We said, you're hated because you are the light. We said, you're hated because you know the truth and you practice the truth. Number five and six and seven were three, three things that I drew that I felt like God gave to me um, throughout the week 
from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I said this. I said, the world will hate you when they can't change you. And the world will hate you when they can't control you. And the world will hate you when they can't destroy you. And we all know, we've all, I'm looking across the room and there's quite a few different ages, but the truth is we've all lived long enough that the world wants to change us, they want to control us, and they want to hate us or destroy us. And if they can't do any of those, they're just going to just hate us. And man, I'm so thankful today that God is truly helping you and I to survive. I, I Listen, I want you to realize this morning that you, to survive all the hate in this world, to survive that feeling everybody is hating you because you're standing for what is right, to thrive in the midst of evil that's all around you and I today, and to reach our goal, which is heaven, I have to tell you this morning, you're going to have to have a mind that is made up that said there's no turning back. If we're going to survive all the hate... All the evil that we are in the middle of, that we live every day, we're going to have to have a mind that is made up that says, no, there is no turning back. I follow Jesus, and there is absolutely no turning back. You see, that statement in itself, this is a mindset, a mindset of not turning back is more than just a resolve. Last week we talked about how Daniel had a resolve. He said, they're not going to change me. They're not going to change my diet. He resolved, and there's no way they're going to do this. He's a mindset. And it was a declaration. It was a declaration. See, when I make the statement, no turning back, I'm not. I follow Jesus, and there's no turning back is a declaration. It's a determination at its finest. And my friend, that is what commitment looks like. You see, in our relationship with God today, there is truly commitment that is to be made. And that right there, that statement, I, I follow Jesus and there is no turning back, that is a commitment statement. And I tell you today, you and I, if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to be committed. So last week, I tried this little crowd participation activity. Um, and it went, it went all right. It went, it went okay. You guys did great, really. Um, besides a couple. <clears throat> and, um, and so I, I quickly realized that some of you really need a second cup of coffee before you answer any questions in church. And, uh, and so I wanted to try this participation activity again. I wanted you guys to feel like you're involved. And so I wanted to make sure that there's some of you uh, who need a second coffee a uh, cup of coffee, would get that so you could participate in this activity this morning. So Angela, um, I want to make sure that you had a second cup of coffee this morning so you could participate. <laughs> me too, me too, me too. All right, so here's the deal. When you hear the word committed, all right, when you hear the word committed, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? When you hear the word committed, it might be a phrase, it actually may be a person, but what's the first thing? And this is that participation that we can do. What's the first thing that pops into your mind? Marriage. Marriage. Good. Absolutely. Anybody else? Loyalty. Work. work. What's that old saying? Is I owe, I owe. Off to work I go. Anybody? What's that? No turning back. Anybody else? Children. I think of athletics. Now, again, I, I was not an athlete growing up, but I love to play. But I think of athletics. I really do. I think of every sport that takes commitment to get to the next level. Uh, you could play 
I love it. I, I love watching Little League, and it's like, my kid's a stud. Oh, look at him. He's a man among men. And then he gets a man among boys, and all of a sudden he gets into middle school, and he's like, where's that man among boys, you know? And it, and it happens. Things change. And he gets to high school, and, and what I'm trying to say is there's a, there's a commitment level at every level in athletics. You want to make it to the, the college level, you're going to have to be really committed. You're going to make it to the NFL, um, to the pro level, you're going to have to be really committed to whatever athletic sport that might be. In every area of our life, there's a level of commitment that is taken to get to the next, to the next level. I thought about this. The first thing that popped in my mind was my marriage vows. It really was. It was a simply that says, um, I can't remember what they were, for better or for worse. Uh, I better remember those. I really did. All of a sudden, I was like, it's the first thing that popped my mind. I can't remember what I said. For better or for worse. I realized that in this walk with Christ, this journey with Christ, the decision that I made to follow him is for better or is for worse. It's in the tough times and it's in the good times and the difficult times and the easy times. It's when I feel really good and it's when I feel really bad. I follow Jesus. And it's just the same commitment that you made to your spouse is the same commitment that you're making to God. And it's so amazing that when you read God's word, God relates to his relationship to you and I as a marriage. He really does. That, hey, for the, I make a decision for better or for worse, I'm going to follow Christ Jesus. Anybody else? Commitment. I say the word commitment first thing it pops. Angela, I gave you your second cup of coffee. I'm waiting for you to say something. <laughs> See, I haven't drunk my second cup of coffee yet, preacher. I would just say loyalty. Loyalty. Hard work. Hard work. Anybody else? Discipline. Discipline. Thank you. Anybody else? You guys are doing great. Kind of like popcorn. Pop. Vacation? Yeah. I was like, vacation. That's what I need. <laughs> I'm going to commit myself to vacation. Yeah. Dedication. <laughs> Dedication. Absolutely. Kind of rhymes a vacation. That's the reason why. Pushing forward. Oh, easy. That's two in a row. All right? <laughs> Anybody else? Here's, what's that again? Community. 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 Here's what I want, you to sh I want to share with you today. It is easy to make a statement that I am not going to turn back. I'm not going to turn around until living for Jesus becomes really difficult. <laughs> It's easy to say, man, I followed Jesus, I made a decision, and there's no turning back in my life until all of a sudden your train is stopped in the middle of the tracks, there's no going forward, and everything stops at a halt. And life is changed in that moment. And you have to make the decision, am I really committed? Am I loyal? Am I going to press forward? How am I going to say that my marriage vows is true in my relationship with Christ as well for better or for worse? And there is no turning back. I'm going to, lead, I'm going to read you. I'm not going to sing it. I promise you. I'm just going to read some of, my, some of the lyrics of my favorite song growing up. And, and um, even still today, I just love this song. It's titled, I Decided to Follow Jesus. It kind of goes like this. I, and, and if I get to singing it, just bear with me. It goes off and it says, I have decided to follow Jesus. And it says it three times. And I love the writer of this song. He makes sure that every chorus, every verse, sorry, every verse is said three times before he makes the statement, no turning back, no turning back. So he says this, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. And he says it third time, I have decided to follow Jesus. And he ends it by saying, no turning back, no turning back. 
He says this, he says, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none, he makes a statement three times, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. He says, my cross I will carry till I see Jesus. My cross I will carry till I see Jesus. My cross I will carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And the last verse says this, and it just really gets to me. He says, the world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. Say it like this. My past behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. You see, the decision to follow Jesus has never been easy. This writer, I love the song, it's beautiful. And when we sing it, it seems to be an easy decision. I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. The cross before me, the past behind me, or the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. And it seems like the decision is so easy. But when we look at Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62, Jesus has been going from city to city or village to village. And he's been preaching. And man, there's been villages that would accept him and villages that would reject him. And then this story, we find that Jesus goes into this village and he's been preaching. And all of a sudden, this whole village rejects him. The rejection of, I do not want to follow you. He's saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. And they say, no, we'd rather not. Rejected. And then all of a sudden, he leaves this village that has rejected him. He's journeying down a road. And all of a sudden, these people start popping up. And we find that one says, I'll follow you. I want you to read this with me. Luke chapter 9, verse 57, as he's on this road, it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. What a bold statement. Remember I said it's easy to say that I will follow you, and it's easy to say I will not turn back until it gets difficult. And this guy was like, hey, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and birds of the air, they have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then to another, Jesus says, follow me. So one guy jumps up and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus looks at another guy and says, will you follow me? But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another one said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. Three gentlemen. Now remember, Jesus has come out of a city that rejected him. You would think that he would be so thrilled for anybody that says, I'll follow you. And these guys were like, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I need you to know foxes have holes, but birds of the air, they have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I'll follow you. Will you follow me? I'll follow you wherever you go. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is trying to get across to them that, hey, listen, making a decision to follow me is, is easy to say, but there is a cost to follow. But not everybody rejected him. Now, I don't know these three guys. I wish that the Bible would tell me if they followed or not. 
I would like to know if these three people actually did say, you know what, I'm okay that the birds, I mean, that you do not have anywhere to lay your head. I'm still willing to pay the price and still follow you. I, I wish that the Bible would tell me that the guy that said, hey, listen, I'm okay with not going to my dad's funeral. I'm still going to follow you. We don't know that. I don't know about the gentleman that said, listen, I would like to go say goodbye to my mom and give her a kiss and give her a hug before I leave with you. And Jesus says, come on, forget that. Let's go. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us if they followed, but the Bible does tell us about some men that did follow, that left everything and followed him instantly in that moment. See, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, is the same story that we'll find in Mark. And so we're not going to read the same stories. Um, we're going to read the account in, in Matthew. But this is when Jesus shows up on the scene. And I love it because you and I today, most of us in this room, Jesus has showed up into our Galilee. That means he showed up to where you were, and he asked you a question, and he asked you this, will you follow me? And Jesus does this right here with his disciples, or, or soon-to-be disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22, it says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Remember, a few minutes ago, we just read that Jesus said to two people, follow me. And then he makes sure that they knew the cost. We don't know if they followed or not. And then verse 20 says, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. These guys were like, he said, follow me. And they're like, absolutely, we'll follow. And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James and the son of Zedebi and, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zedebi, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. And he said, follow me. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, the same account is in Mark. Mark chapter 1, you can read the same account, same story uh, about Jesus coming to the Sea of Galilee and Jesus seeing the two brothers, the two sets of brothers, and asking them the same question, come follow me. But in this account, a Mark of the Gospel, Mark gives us a little more information of their response, of how they responded to Jesus. In verse 20 of chapter 1 of Mark, says, And immediately he called them. He said, Follow me. And they left their father Zedebee in the boat. Now think about this. He left his father Zedebee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. In just that one verse, we realize that, hey, listen, they're leaving something behind that's greater than just a boat. They're leaving something behind greater than just their father who's in the boat. They're leaving a business. They're leaving a livelihood. They're leaving their lifestyle. What they've known all their life, they're leaving it behind. And they left everything. I want you to look at Luke chapter 5. Again, this is the same story. It's, I don't want you to get caught up, and if you read it when you go home, you'll get caught up into the lake of Gedderseret instead of Galilee. It's the same body of water, same story, same account, same Jesus walking by the lake. And all of a sudden, if you know it, you know that, G that Peter and the fishermen had fished all night, caught nothing. Jesus is like, hey, listen, um, have you caught anything? Absolutely not. Throw your net on the other side. And they caught a, a huge catch of fish that night. And then Jesus asked them this question to follow him. Listen to their response. In Luke chapter 5, verse 11, Jesus, remember, he says, Come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. You'll no longer be fishing for fish, you'll be fishing for men. And this is what happens. And they had 
brought their boats to the land, and they left everything to follow him. Now, I want you to look. Now, we find that um, in Matthew, um, it just simply says they left immediately to follow. Um, in Mark, we find that they left their business, their father, and the servants with the boats. But then all of a sudden in Luke, we find that they left everything. So he just makes it clear for us. If we couldn't catch it in the first two stories, he just wanted to make it very clear that he left everything to follow Jesus. And so for you and I this morning, we realize that it's not an easy decision to make. I mean, it seems like it is. Raise your hand if you want to accept Jesus, and we do. But there is so much more than that. There is a relationship that is to be walked out, a journey that has ups and downs, and a decision that says no matter how difficult it gets, there is no turning back. And to look at how the disciples, you know, here's what's crazy. To read those stories and to look how they responded to the call, follow me, is so much different than you and I today. Because, see, they left their home. They left their businesses. They left family. They left it to follow Jesus. And the reason why they had to do that is because Jesus was physically with them. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. And if you were going to follow him, you would have to actually follow him physically. And so they had to leave their boats. They had to leave their families. They had to leave everything. But you and I, that's not the same response, is it? Has anybody in this room left their jobs to follow Jesus? Unless they're jobs, maybe, maybe there are jobs that, um, that are a lifestyle of sin. And when you give your heart to, to God, God convicts you that you shouldn't do that lifestyle anymore. And so you change your lifestyle. I can give you a lot of examples, but I won't. There's children in the room. But there are lifestyles and occupations that perhaps you would change your life because you have given it to Jesus. And you won't do that anymore. But most of us in this room, you've given your heart to Jesus. You didn't leave Tinker. You, you did not leave Seminole Ford and Mercury. You didn't, well, some of us may have. But I mean, I mean, I shouldn't have done that. But there's a lot of us today that we didn't have to leave our job. You didn't leave the Tecumseh Public Schools. You are still able to follow Jesus even though you didn't leave your job. Some of you in this room, I don't know, I'm looking around, none of you have left your family. You didn't have to leave your community. So what does that look like, really? For me and you today in 2022, what does it look like for us to, to follow Jesus, to give our all, to give everything? What does it look like for you and I? Because the disciples follow Jesus physically, and you and I today, we are submissive today. And our following of God is to be submissive to the Holy Spirit and to allow him to guide us and lead us and direct us and to say, God, I will go wherever you lead me, and wherever your Spirit leads me, I will go, and I will do what he tells me to do. That's what we do. You see, it is so much that we are to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and his leading in all things that is Christ Jesus. That's his job. is to lead you and I today. And we follow by leading him, by following him. We follow by following the Holy Spirit and his word. But the truth of the matter is that when you decide to follow Jesus, there's always been a cost. It doesn't matter what time, what year it was, what uh, generation it was. It doesn't matter if, if you were in the disciples' uh, time or if you're in 2022. There's always been a cost to following Jesus. That's the point today. The disciples had to give up everything. You and I, um, we may not have to give up our homes. We may not have to give up our jobs. We may have to give up our families. We may still get to go to the funeral. But you and I, there's a cost to following him.
And there will always be a cost because here's the deal. To say I follow Jesus is, a, is also making a declaration that there is no turning back. I am committed to what God wants me to become. I'm loyal. I am going to be there in the good times and the bad times. And we're going to be there. We're going to be in this journey. I want to give you two things this morning. I'm going to give you two things. Now, today is um, water baptism. And so I'm watching the clock and I have nine minutes. And so, jeez, uh, I took a lot of time. Here's two things that I want to share with you that I believe that will help you not to turn back. When you look at the disciples, and some of you may know this, and some of you may not, so let me help you. There was a moment in all the disciples beside Judas where they actually did turn back. They went back to their old lifestyle. They went back to fishing, what they knew. See, after Jesus had died and, and after he was resurrected and, and after Jesus presented himself to the disciples and, and remember Dalton Thomas who said, I won't believe until I can touch his nail-scarred, skin, skin, nail-scarred hands and, and his piercing. And, um, well, there was a long period of time that Jesus didn't talk to his disciples in that time. And Peter just one day woke up and said, you know what? I think I'm going fishing. And all the disciples said, you know what? I think I'll follow you. In that moment, you know what he did? He turned back. He turned back to something that was familiar to him. And every one of us today, if you're not careful in this journey when things get really difficult and the choice that you just made messed up the other side of your Rubik's Cube, you're gonna turn back to what's familiar. And I'm gonna ask you today, I'm gonna challenge you today to not turn back. There is no turning back to the way the old man would do things. How the old man would think. Old man meaning the man before you gave your heart to Jesus. The man that you said before, you said, I follow. I follow Jesus. Don't, don't return back to him. Don't do things the way he would do it. Don't think the way he would think. And I know that's a challenge, but you could do it. So I'm going to give you two things that I think will help you to not turn back. Not to return back to your old man. Can we do that today? Two things, very quickly, seven minutes, put me on the clock. Don't put me on the clock. <laughs> Because you'll be disappointed. All right, here we go. Point number one. I I really believe today for us to not turn back, we have to become a lover of God's word. I mean, truly a lover of God. King David said it like this. He said, I'm going to hide your word into my heart so I do not sin against you. Can I reword that? God, I'm going to hide your word into my heart. I'm going to become a lover of your word so I never turn back. I'm going to be a lover. I want to know it inside and out. I want to know your precepts. I want to know your commandments. I, I want to know your statues. I want to know everything, your character. I want to know you, God, because I never want to go back to who I was. And David said it like that. He also, in Psalm chapter 119, verse 105, the, the writer of Psalms, the, the psalmist here, said this. He said, simply, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What is he saying? He's saying, you know what, I want to be so in love with God's word that it shines around me so I know where I'm at and it shines before me to know where I'm going. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I want to be in so much in love with God's word that it lights up where I'm at and it lights up where I'm going. And I think today, if you and I today will allow God's word, be a lover of God's word, dig into it. Really study it. Don't just read it, but study it. Take your time. Some of you guys are trying to read your Bible through in a year, and I encourage you to do that. But sometimes reading your Bible through a year just gets you in the habit to hurry, 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 read your Bible so you can make it through the year. 
And sometimes you just got to stop and say, what does Jesus really mean here? What's happening in the scenario? What's, what's Jesus really trying to get the point across to you and I today? And that is that there is a cost to serve him. There's this commitment that is to be to made. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this, and when we become a lover of God's word, we find this statement that Paul makes to young Timothy, young preacher man. He says this, he says, he says, all scriptures are breathed out of out by God and are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped forever for every good work. You see, a guy who is a lover of God's word will say, Oh, I get it. I get what God is trying to do. He's trying to complete me for every good work. What God is actually trying to do is he's trying to get the word inside of me so I do not sin against him, so I don't return back. And to understand, hey, listen, there's going to be times that I get into God's word that God's going to correct me. There's going to be time that is, is a training and that's in process that happens when I read God's word, and, and I'm a lover of it, so I'm okay with it. I'm going to study it out. And I'm going to figure out what I do need it needs to happen in my life so that way I stay focused on what God has for me to do. In just a few minutes, your kids are walking through the door to sit with you because we have water baptism that's going to happen. So, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, again, becoming a lover of God's word. It says, for the word of God is living, it is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You know what happens when you're not a lover of God's word? You do not want God's word to be read to you. You don't want God's word to be taught to you. You don't want to read God's word because it actually opens your eyes to what your intention of your heart is. And we're like, oh, we don't want nothing to do with that. God, don't show me the areas I need to improve. Don't show me my weaknesses. And the truth is, God is saying, if you'll become a lover of God's, of my word, if you'll become a lover of my word, I will help you. Through my word, I will teach you, I will correct you, and I will help you so that you don't have to ever turn, turn back. Here's point number two. I told you I only had two. And become a doer of God's word. There's a lot of people. I was talking to, um, she's not here so I won't call her name. I was talking to an individual who um, was an atheist and she knew God's word in and out. She actually studied it. She studied it so that she could argue with you. <laughs> she wanted to find all the contradictions that perhaps could be within God's word if you're taking it out of context. And she studied it. Oh, she was a lover of God's word for only one reason. That is to prove you and I today that we were wrong. And she was a studier of it. But she wasn't a doer of it. You and I today, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you not only to be a lover of God's word, to be a doer of God's word. And when we become a lover of God's word and we begin to apply those principles into our life, I got to tell you, we will find ourselves saying, you know what, I know too much now to turn back. I know way too much. God has done so much for me. There's just no way I can turn around. 
There's no way I can go back to my old lifestyle. There's no way I can make those decisions again. There's no way I can put myself in those predicaments ever again. Why? Because I know too much. I am a lover of God's word, but now I am a doer of God's word. Here's James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. It says this. It says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Man, do we need to have this like on some kind of wall? Let us be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let me read that again. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How many times have we just misjudged a situation? (sighs) Misjudged it. And we didn't know all the details. And God's saying, man, if you just slow down, slow down. Let me help you. Be slow, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 20 says this, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. For therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to what? Save your souls. This is the loving of God's word. And this is, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks in the perfect law, in the law of liberty, and preserves being, a not, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Listen to that. I want you to hear that. That's perfectly put. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts will be blessed in his doing. I have to tell you today, I, have, I've, I got saved when I was 16 or 13 years old. I've been in the ministry really since I've been 16. I've been preaching since I was 16 years old. And I got to tell you, there's been a lot of ups and there's been a lot of downs, a lot of difficulties, a lot of struggles. But there's been a declaration that I made that said, I am not turning back. Not turning back. And because I have been a, a student of God's word and a lover of God's word, I have found myself saying to myself, I know way too much now to turn back and I found myself because I have applied God's word that my life has changed and my ways of things and the way I see life has changed and because I am a doer of God's word I am watching his blessings on my life and because I am blessed of God I am protected by God and God is just man how can I go back now I think about today and as the musicians would come I think about the disciples who Jesus is with them and and there was a multitude of people. He just fed 5,000 people and he tells his disciples, he said, hey, I want you to get into a boat and I want you to go to the other side. And the Bible says, and it describes that this moment in the middle of the lake, in in the middle of this body of water, that all of a sudden the disciples, all 12, faced with some opposition. A challenge, something that they thought was very impossible. And they made some decisions. Their decision was to row harder. Got to row harder. I mean, the wind, listen, I want you to look at me real quick. The wind is coming at me. The waves are beating against my boat. And their decision was just to row harder. It's the only way we're going to get it, boys. Jesus said, he's going to meet us on the other side. We, we can't let him down. We got to get to the other side. 
There's no turning back now. We're, and the Bible says it's in the middle of the water, the middle of this body. They're halfway there. They can see where they've been and they can see where they're going. And they're there. And the opposition is strong. And it's crazy because I can see them rowing and getting nowhere. Every decision that they made seemed like they were getting nowhere. And their decision was to row harder. Just row harder. And you know what I see today? I'm looking among people today that you're in your ship and you're in the middle of the water and you're, you've said to yourself, I, there's no turning back. Going back to the shoreline is not an option. I'm going to meet Jesus on the other side. And you're in your boat and you are rowing as hard as you can. And you feel that if I could just row harder, if I could row harder, I'll beat this opposition. If I row harder, if my effort is greater, then I'll beat this. And the truth is the opposite is the best choice. It's a stop. I know that doesn't make any sense to some of you. You're like, whoa. <laughs> if I stop, the current will take me back to the shore where I don't want to go. No, because the story goes on to say that Jesus comes walking on the water and they're like, hey, is that must be a ghost. Who is that? And Peter jumps up and he says, who are you? If you are the Son of God, tell me to walk on the water. Could you imagine what the other 11 disciples were saying? Get back to rowing. They were used to all 12 rowing. And then you, when you lose one person rowing, you're not gaining any ground. You're actually going backwards now. It makes all the other, other 11 disciples work harder. And some of you as spouses, you feel that way. You and your husband have been rowing so hard together. And then all of a sudden, one of you quit. One of you have given up. You stop rowing. And so to keep everything together, the other spouse has to row harder. And you feel like you're doing life all by yourself. And I'm here to tell you today, there is no turning back. Even if you're the only one rowing. Even if you have stepped in your boat and you said, Jesus, I've stopped doing what I can do. And I need you to do what you can do. I need you to stop the wind. I need you to figure this out because I can't. And the moment that you will stand up in your boat and you say, you know what? It's not my spouse's fault. It's me. It's not my, my work's fault. It is me. It's not my community's fault. It is me. But in that moment that we will stand up and we will take responsibility and say, God, I need you to move in me. If that's you, call me out. If that's you, I'm following. If that's you, change my situation. And it's in that moment that you'll see God show up. Amen. Give the Lord a heck of a praise this morning. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more messages or find our service time, you can visit us at our website, homechurchtecumsa.com, for more information. And thank you again. And until next time, love God, do good, and be a friend. Be blessed.